Hi, my name is Stephanie Gordon. I'm today's host for the Zurich North America Future of Risk podcast. And I have the pleasure today of talking with a colleague that I met just over a year and a half ago when he joined Zurich as our North American Chief Claims Officer, Keith Daly. So Keith, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Stephanie. Glad to be here. So we're going to talk today about several different topics related to claims, like the role claims can play in actually helping a company better protect itself, trends that you're seeing in uh, claims data collection, and I also want to talk about the parts of the claims function that people may not be as familiar with. Um, but I thought we'd start with a little bit about your background, because I think you've literally spent your entire career in claims. Is that right? Almost. I think it's enough that you can say I'm a lifer uh, in okay. claims. So, <laughs> so I would say uh, my, my professional journey started post-college. I bumped around for a couple of years in sales before I landed <clears throat> at a carrier as a claim rep trainee. Um, it was, uh, I won't date myself. It was, well, I guess I will, uh, early 90s <clears throat> and ended up as a trainee for a auto company as a claims adjuster. I didn't know much about the role uh, when a friend actually told me about it. And, you know, I jumped into that career um, and I literally did every technical role that you could imagine over the first couple of years in my career. It was a great training ground. I got exposed to, you know, a lot of different parts of the claim life cycle uh, before I got into supervision and branch management. Um, it, it was it was an organization that was really fast paced and growing uh, in the early 90s. Um, and at some point, probably about nine, 10 years into my career with them, uh, I got the opportunity to be recruited away to another carrier uh, for kind of a higher level role, <clears throat> more of a, you know, running a territory of the U.S., uh, predominantly in the Southeast. Um, that then grew into running, you know, half of the country and then ultimately a field operation for predominantly an auto uh, claims organization. At the time then, I'm now talking probably late 2000s, that company went through some financial distress. Uh, they ended up selling uh, their U.S. personal lines business, uh, put it on the market due from a due diligence perspective, um, and that business got purchased by Farmers Insurance. <clears throat> so I ended up with Farmers um, by acquisition and continued my claims journey. Um, again, in auto, running the East Coast. I was based in Atlanta at the time. Um, I then moved to the West Coast of the U.S. and spent, uh, I moved to California and ran the West Coast for that operation. I then diversified and got out of auto and into property. Uh, it was my first foray really out of property, but the fundamentals of claims are pretty universal. Uh, but it was learning a new line of business. And then I got the, you know, uh, probably a lifelong achievement award or, or dream of mine. Um, I was selected to be the chief claims officer at Farmers in late 2013 and got to run that organization for five years before I took a slight detour into product management and underwriting. I think really to round out my career, um, to give me perspective of, you know, growing up in the stovepipe of claims, um, give me a, a new opportunity. And it was one that I learned a ton of about, which ultimately led me back to claims because, uh, you know, I think I am unabashedly would say I actually love claims. I love the environment that we're in, the amount of people that you get to lead and interact with. Um, and so 
I ended up transferring from Farmers over to Zurich at the end of the first quarter of 2022. And here I am today, uh, about a year and a half into the role, leading the Zurich North American Claims Team. You know, mostly a personalized background, but now firmly in a, in a commercial space. Again, fundamentals are, you know, very similar. Uh, you learn to, you know, it's a different language, some so different lines of business, but the beauty of this role is I have a wonderful team, an honor to lead them, and uh, it's been a great learning experience. I think as uh, when you're in claims, you're a lifelong learner uh, because there are new claims situations that you have to deal with and adapt. And I think I, you know, pride myself on being adaptable. And this job has certainly given me those challenges. I'm really loving it. And we're so glad you're here. Thank you for sharing that with us. You mentioned something about a lifelong love of claims. And I know you feel that you've used the words that claims is a noble profession. So I wanted to, to hear you talk a little bit about when people buy insurance, what is it that they're actually buying? Because I think the answer lies in claims. Yeah, it's an intangible product to some degree. You're you're buying some future protection for a future loss that you don't know if it will come. And so you you actually are buying a claims department. And the I think the uh, knowing that you know when something goes wrong that it will be corrected. And that's where I think the nobility that I often speak of in claims is you know you restore people's lives, you restore people's businesses. You impact communities that are affected after a natural disaster because you want businesses to get back online um, so people in that area can go back to work, can you know restore the infrastructure of an environment. And so I think in our world as a commercial insurance provider, you know, why people buy insurance is for a lot of different reasons. It's to protect their balance sheet, it's to protect their company, it's to protect their employees. And so any number of losses and all the different lines of business that we write them is really to de-risk their company from a financial perspective, because without insurance, depending on the calamity that you experience, it could end a corporation. And so, you know, that's why somebody looks at their portfolio and says, you know, this is the coverages I need for all of these different risks. And then ultimately, when um, those perils happen, we get to stand in the shoes and represent Zurich and work with our insureds on, you know, getting them back to, you know, where they're supposed to be. It really is a safety net because if something happens to a company, if the peril is so significant that the company were to to go out of business, it's not just the company that's impacted. Like you said, it's all the people who are working there and the communities that they live in and the businesses that they you know, as community members would support, et cetera. So it really is a pretty extensive reach and responsibility. Absolutely. I think it shows how interconnected we all are. Businesses, consumers, you know, all of us. There is a fabric uh, yeah. to society. And I think insurance plays a critical role in protecting that system and that structure. Absolutely. So you, you've mentioned being in a, a lot of different roles within claims, et cetera. So now as the chief claims officer, you have a unique vantage point um, that you really see a broad spectrum across claims. In addition to adjusters, which most people are probably familiar with an interaction with an adjuster when they file a claim, what are the other components 
that make up a company's claims function? Yeah, it's a good question, I think, because you you are right. I think most people kind of get the role of what a claims professional does. It's the person they deal with. It's the face of the organization, so to speak. Um, but there is an entire network of people in not necessarily customer facing roles that have to deliver on their piece of the equation that puts the claim professional in the very best position to be able to deliver the best outcomes for our customers and it runs the gamut and i think it, you, you are right because you know you tend to i tend to do this for a living so you forget you know what people would think of it gets down to you know the systems need to work so reliance on our it partners to ensure right. um that our systems are up and running and functioning and that our people can access you know the technology that they need to do the job but you know projects that make uh our systems better or our processes better so you have to have a whole group of project managers that are really good at identifying obstacles that get in the way of our adjusters delivering outstanding experiences and how do we work through eliminating those obstacles and then you'll have vendors that we rely on there's a huge ecosystem that sits outside of the insurance uh, industry that are technology vendors that enable us to be able to provide uh, for our customers. And so you need a group of people that are interfacing with them on how to optimize our spend with them, but also the delivery of accuracy. And then you have, you know, a lot of people within the function, you know, that are just here to, you know, help the adjusters along their way, it, with, whether that be with guidance. So uh, we have a claims training university that helps in the career development for uh, every one of our claims professionals. It gives them leadership development, how you grow your career within a carrier. And so that's a vitally important. And then you have a whole bunch of specialty components like uh, recovery, which is subrogation, which is when, you know, we have to pay something, but there's another party that was responsible. Um, we have a subrogation unit. We have a special investigative unit, you know, that when we uncover, you know, elements of fraud that we need to investigate, um, that's a big part of what the function has to do. And so we have those specialty units. Uh, and then you can break claims up into a lot of different pieces, but there's a lot of claims professionals that are just supporting other claims professionals to allow them to to really deliver the very best outcome that they can. There's a whole actuarial and finance function as well, managing our budgets or managing our data. So we have data analysts and things like that. It's uh, it's it's often viewed as just a claims professional, but there is literally a village uh, around them that supports them to be, again, and I probably a broken record, but be able to deliver the very best outcomes that they can. Right. And then there are a couple attorneys. There are certainly a lot of the claims professionals themselves based on the specialization of the work that we do uh, within the financial line space, within, um, you know, more of our latent environmental risks. Uh, we have several uh, attorneys that work for us. And certainly, you know, we have a staff legal function that uh, or that, that really they represent our policyholders and in individual actions in states all across the United States. So they would literally be the law firm that gets hired to represent our policyholders when litigation is filed against them. Right. One of those functions that you mentioned that I wanted to, to seg into was technology and the IT support. You have compared insurance companies, you know, to, to data collection giants like Google and Microsoft in terms of 
the power of collecting harnessing data. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, it's uh, it's probably more collection, not necessarily maybe the right word there, but it's big data. Um, and I think consumers and, and business people would think of, you know, big data companies as the ones you mentioned, big technology companies. But the reality is insurance companies were the original big data company. We as an industry, and certainly here at Zurich, you know, we've been collecting loss information for decades. Uh, and you know, that is really the foundation of how you build rate, uh, how you establish new risk. Uh, and so actuaries are, yeah. I think, the <laughs> precursor to data scientists. Yeah. Uh, actuaries got a really cool name over the last decade uh -huh. uh, that they've evolved from just being, you know, predicting what the future loss is going to be, but really taking that same data set and starting to harness what are driving the outcomes? And then how do you break that into pieces so that you can provide better data insights to our customers to help them navigate risk? I think that's a big part of it. And I think to somebody who is in, not familiar with insurance, you wouldn't know that we have data scientists and, and business analysts that um, are doing similar work that that you would do at a big tech company on trying to solve a different piece of the puzzle. Um, but it is a growing part of our business. And then obviously the introduction of, you know, ChatGBT and AI, um, those are all business cases that we're working on within insurance carriers. And, and Zurich is certainly no exception. And I think we're you know ahead of the curve in some places on really thinking through where, where what is the impact of this new and emerging technology to be able to automate data collection or be able to use natural language processing to then deliver better insights to the claims professional for them to make the decision. For, for us, the claims professional is really the decision maker on the file, um, but how we can unearth information during an investigation that makes them more efficient and helpful. That is really what we're trying to accomplish. And our IT partners, our data scientists, our critical relationships within the firm um, on, on working on projects that are really designed to, you know, put the claims professional in the best position possible to deliver for our customer. It is really a very sophisticated use of the data, right? And and in addition to using that for the claims professionals to help get the best outcome for customers, we also share that within the organization um, because that makes us better underwriters, especially, right? So when it comes to sharing insights, how does claims do that with the rest of the organization? What's that relationship like? Yeah, I think it's critical. And, and I'd say this is where I think the claims function has evolved over certainly the time period that I've been involved in claims. And I already mentioned it, it was the early 90s. Um, the claims function was somewhat considered back office. Um, claims has evolved to be very much customer facing, market facing today. And it's an exciting kind of, I think, evolution to be a part of. Um, but that also, to your point, one of the critical stakeholders is the underwriter on you know what we see. We are often the eyes and the ears uh, of an organization because we are out you know dealing with customers, dealing with losses that have occurred. And generally, 
you get to see a risk in a very different way than when you potentially wrote it. The risk has evolved to some degree of it's not what it once was. It's something different. It's evolved. The business has evolved. And so those insights are really critical for a claims department and an underwriting organization to stay completely synced up. And that's obviously through data insights. So we have built a lot of um, data assets within the organization that underwriters can access to understand, you know, not a specific claim per se, but a, you know, a body of claim or a, a type of claim. You know, what insights can I glean from that that's going to help me ask the right questions, partner with our insured and their risk manager um, to really tailor an insurance product for them that best fits their needs. Sometimes it's a, you know, a new loss that we hadn't really contemplated before. The world evolves at a, at a breakneck pace. And so those insights are wildly um, important to the underwriter as well as to Zurich Resilient Solutions. So our risk engineering function, um, they, they are often out there working with our with our with our big corporate clients on you know how to make work sites safer, how to manufacturing processes better, um, and so they are literally hand in glove with our customers, and so they see a lot of potential risks that occur, but they're not everyone, and so then we'll have a loss and work back with risk with ZRS, and you know how do we then think about guidance that they should give a risk manager on how to navigate a new and emerging area that that could present a new risk for a corporation. So it's a bit of a virtuous circle. There's a there's a lot of interaction that claims is now very much a part of that really delivers a value proposition for, you know, our clients that choose to do business with Zurich. Right. And that's virtuous circle is exactly what I was thinking as you were talking about that is um, you know, the risk engineers are, are out there helping customers claim, see something that they think could be applicable, um, that they could start to, you know, help the customer evolve in their risk mitigation, which kind of leads to my next question. Would it be fair to say that sometimes claims gets an early look at trends that might be changing in society? Yes, without a doubt. And I think it's, uh, you know, the society changes are, you know, they happen quickly and sometimes they don't. Uh, but we certainly do get a front row because a, a loss occurs uh, and and we're out there, you know, dealing with it and, and, and you get to see sort of how things evolve. And I'd say, you know, it's um, one that I think is a good example of it would have been, you know, within the area of workers' comp. Um, okay. And workers' comp doesn't get off, off discussed it probably enough as how complicated it is. Um, but our country has gone through an opioid pandemic over the last several decades. When opioids were produced and put into the marketplace as a pain management function, you definitely saw a move in prescription pain management show up in claim files in the mid 2000s okay. because that became the way we're going to manage pain for an injured worker to try to get them you know cured get them the physical therapy and get them back to work and that um, was new at the time new at the time exactly and so managing your prescription spend 
kind of came out. Of, it was always there, but it became a huge part of a workers' comp organization to, you know, how do we affect all of a sudden there's this huge spike of, wow, we're seeing this, this happen. And I don't know if it's the greatest example of how connected we potentially were with the rest of the organization, but that obviously what has manifested with opioids and now opioid litigation at the state level and, and things like that, you know, it is uh, it has taken on, you know, a life of its own. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of impacted lives that happened out of there of the the manifest of how potentially overprescribed it was. Um, but again, uh, uh, through data and through uh, pharmacy management, I think that, you know, certainly you started to look at, you know, how can we effectuate this? And I think all, again, those data insights with underwriters and risk managers, it's all a part of the process of talking about a trend you're seeing and what's the cause and effect. It It is looking at your data to try to figure out the, you know, exactly what it means, intended, unintended consequences, and sharing it, you know, within your organization to then create products and solutions for your customers. Well, like you said, the claims function has evolved significantly over the past couple decades as well, you know, to begin to recognize the power of the data that it has access to. And then how how can we actually harness this for good and start to use it more proactively instead of reactively just at the time of a loss sort of thing. So I think we're we're evolving along that journey. So I wanted to ask about another trend. What's what's happening right now within auto claims? So auto claims, a commercial carrier like us, it's a, actually a significant part of our business, but not like it would be on a personal lines carrier um, that, that most consumers would be familiar with. But auto really took center stage during the pandemic where supply chains were really stressed and everybody has heard about everything that we bought and needed during that time period when much of the world was locked down, um, it has had a lingering impact, probably more so than most other lines of business. Um, just due to the supply chain, I think it, it showed how fragile it was. Um, and the used car prices, new car prices, part prices in general, uh, and part availability really came to a screeching halt. Now, at the time, we also had a, a drop in frequency, so people were driving less, so we saw less accidents. And I think that signal was ignored pretty significantly across the industry. And as people came back and post-recovery driving, it was almost like revenge driving. Everybody <laughs> wanted to get out and do something. Um, you saw that spike. And and so frequency came roaring back. But the impact frequency of the of claims. Frequency of claims okay. came back. And then I think the the supply chain wasn't back yet. We have labor shortages that occur within the body shop repair industry. Um, and so you had a kind of a bottleneck of now we have a whole bunch of losses. We don't have the parts. We don't have the people. A lot of people left the industry during COVID and body shop technicians. We haven't been growing them at the pace we need. And so across the entire motor spectrum today, you see cycle times far more exaggerated than you did, you know, over the last decade where cycle time has just grown. It takes longer 
to fix your car than it would have. Now, cars have gotten far more sophisticated. A bumper is no longer a bumper. A bumper has sensors throughout it and how it integrates with the computer system of a car. Cars have gotten incredibly uh, challenging to fix. And again, that makes it longer to fix them. And it means we need more people to do it. And we don't have enough people going into that field. And so you have elevated rental days. So you have severity going up. Things are more expensive. And to a consumer, you get into an accident today, and that could be your personal car. Or it could be you're a company and you need to have that delivery truck back on the road. It's going to take longer to fix your vehicle. You can't just walk into a body shop today like you could maybe 10 years ago and schedule your repairs and it's maybe next week. You have a significant portion. It's almost like 50% of the time you're scheduling out four weeks in advance now to get your car repaired or your truck repaired. And yeah. so yeah. auto in general has just had a lot of you know, disruption from the last several years, uh, but it's an industry challenge for, I think, anybody who's associated with any motor claims. We have to ensure that you we're driving more people into the profession of auto repair. Um, and so it's a synergistic relationship that has to occur there because that's how you get a car back on the road. You you were talking a, a lot about, you know, personal consumer vehicles, et cetera, but you've made a couple references to trucks, which really makes me think about organizations that rely on a truck fleet to move parts and services or goods into the economy. And if they're having trouble maintaining that fleet, then that is further exacerbating the supply chain issue for some other entity that's relying on the availability of trucks that we used to take for granted, right? You're exactly correct. Uh, it is. It goes back to that interconnectedness again, that one thing happens here and you don't think of what's the impact going to be across the whole of society. Uh, and that's exactly the case. If you have a, a trucking company and you're, you, you have a vehicle down, that's a that's an element of not getting goods out. And so it just kind of builds upon itself. So to take a step from there and talk about um, a widespread impact that we maybe didn't realize uh, previously, claims nuclear jury verdicts uh, in, in claims disputes and things like um, I've, we've talked about reptilian legal tactics that influence trial outcomes. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Because then I want to talk about the broader impact that that's having on society from your perspective. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's often spoke about or written about under the term social inflation. Okay. Um, so we have inflation that happens that, you know, we all feel as consumers. Um, but this this really is a bucket that's called social inflation. And I think it started, you know, this is, um, I have a colleague, Alan Kirsch, who spends a lot of his time talking about this topic. He's a lawyer by trade and has done some really good work in the industry on educating customers and consumers and other carriers on what the impacts here. But in a nutshell, the plaintiff bar has really, I think, been well organized for decades. And this is an area where they have gotten rather sophisticated on sharing their wins and losses with each other um, on how to get in front of a jury and create a, you know, a, almost an anger towards, you know, somebody who caused a loss and how they can get a jury in a local venue to punish that 
person who, you know, did something wrong, created an accident. It grew up in in trucking and motor claims. You mentioned reptilian theory, and it's more of a fight or flight mentality. It's the truck driver who, you know, is is on a long haul trucking assignment. They're putting a lot of hours behind the wheel trying to get to the destination they're supposed to bring their goods to. And maybe they've been on the road too long and they're, you know, drowsy or not as paying attention as they should. And they cause a loss. And sometimes these losses are horrific. You know, it's it's severe injuries, lifelong injuries, including death. And the way the plaintiff bar approaches to get in front of a jury and say, you know, this driver knows he should have stopped after this certain hour, but he kept on going. And, you know, he works for a corporation and it's really the corporation that's mm-hmm. pushing him to spend more time on the road, take more risk because it's, you know, their bottom line and they're trying to drive up their profits. And so you need to not only punish the driver, but you need to punish the company so that they'll take risk management more serious. Um, and they've gotten really good at asking for big, big verdicts from juries. And it probably then gets into a little bit of generational dynamics of jury pools are changing and becoming younger, less boomers in those jury pools, less Gen X and more millennials and Generation Z, where the value of a dollar seems to have changed as well because of I think other things that happen in society around athletes and celebrities, salaries and what they make and how much money is involved in social media, et cetera, where um, younger juries are more willing to put astronomical sums on injuries and cases where we haven't seen that from prior generations. And it's probably a little element of distrust of corporations that play in there as well, that older generations had more of a parental relationship with corporations. You went and worked for a company for a long part of your career and you had a affinity for a corporation. That's changed a little bit. People right. move around jobs more. And so younger generations are willing to hold corporations more responsible. So it's a kind of a perfect storm of events of the plaintiff bar being really good at, at telling their story and, and asking for big numbers. Juries are more willing to give those big numbers. And so our corporate clients have to be better at their procedures and making sure that their risk managers are on top of every part of their of their safety protocols because when a loss does occur and if and god forbid there are serious injuries that occur with it they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt and i think that's the messaging that certainly we're trying to educate our our large corporate customers on you know really pay attention to your hiring procedures your safety protocols um and and you, there has to be flawless execution in them because if there's not and if there's lackadaisical approach, ultimately there will be verdicts that will far exceed their insurance coverage and expose them, their corporation, their shareholders to outsized losses that are certainly hard to recover. And I think it's interesting because we have seen some research that younger generations who are growing up now do have a lot more distrust of big corporations and they assume they have deep pockets. It's a different mentality and approach. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned salaries of sports superstars and movie stars. We sort of normalized 
these enormous numbers that would would have been unfathomable in the past, right? Yeah, it all comes together in that sense of a perfect storm. It's, uh, it's somewhat, uh, they have a lot of revenue, so therefore, uh, or they have a lot of profit. Uh, and so therefore, extracting a piece of that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But I think to anybody who's running an organization, those are precious resources. And, you know, if you have to pay something here, it's got to come from somewhere else. And it goes back to the theme that we've had throughout this of interconnectedness, where somebody might have to raise prices on a product that then the consumer pays more for. Um, or you don't have that product any longer because they want to get out of it. And then it's something somebody wanted. Anytime there's these big, big jury verdicts and, you know, it's to, 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 to hurt a corporation, there is a cause and effect. It's proverbial throwing that stone into a, into a pond and seeing the yeah. ripples go out. You can't speak to what are all of the implications that are going to happen, but we know they're there. You know, it, it drives up. Uh, goods and services. It drives up what we have to spend as consumers to acquire products because companies have to spend more on insurance premiums because the you know the the values are larger and insurance companies have to charge more premium because they're paying out bigger numbers on claims. So it's all again a very cause and effect relationship. I appreciate your time today. This is a fascinating conversation. I love hearing about some different aspects of claims that people might not be as familiar with. One of the things that's really struck me is how passionate you are about the field. Obviously, you've chosen to spend the bulk of your career in it, and you love being in claims. So final question is, would you recommend it as a profession, either for someone who's coming out of school or maybe looking for a second career or something like that? And and if so, could you give people a little idea about where they might look at Zurich? Yeah, of course. So um, as you'd expect, the answer to that question is going to be, uh, of course, I would uh, recommend it as a career. It's, uh, That's good. <laughs> so I, I think it's the, you know, it's the diversity of, uh, of of the tasks of the day. It's not a, you know, you get to do new things, you get to experience new events. Every claim is unique. And so it's solving a puzzle almost every time. So there's a lot of critical thinking involved. There's a lot of interactions with stakeholders, customers, internal defense lawyers, plaintiff lawyers. It always kind of attracted me that you got to wear a lot of different hats. Um, so to me, none of it was mundane. It was always very exciting and kind of the, goes back to a comment I made earlier about a lifelong learning. And so, and I think us in claims, we recognize that if a you know, college kid or a high school kid is thinking about insurance, they're usually not thinking about claims. Um, they're probably thinking more about being an underwriter or being in sales or, you know, even if they're more of the finance track and want to be an actuary, those are kind of destination within an organization. And in claims, you know, we probably haven't done a good enough job describing, you know, what it is you'd be exposed to uh, and how you can grow a career. And I think whether you wanna get into the insurance industry, claims is a wonderful place to start. You learn the insurance contract, you would learn you know, what losses look like, how they get adjudicated, and it could be the front door to an organization. You can get into a, a claims organization, learn insurance 101. We have, like I said, univer a university to be able to train you. So it's not something you have to bring a lot of experience to. Most of the people in claims were not in an insurance risk program. They probably had a, a very diverse background. I 
certainly most of the people that, that I work with came from, you know, a, a lot of different subject matters to, to land and claims. But you can land here and get to another part of our organization or grow your entire career within claims because there are so many different lines of business specialties. You can go up one stovepipe and become a subject matter expert in financial lines or surety, or latent and environmental or property or workers' comp. We have so many different career paths, but you can also then bounce around. And, you know, I've done this, I've learned that. Now I want to go learn a new line of business because I want to make myself a bit of a generalist. So it's certainly a place where you can grow your career, grow your talents, grow your skills, get opportunity to lead people. So I, obviously I'd be a bit of a hypocrite if I said <laughs> otherwise, because it's been able to, you know, provide for Myself, it's given me a lot of career opportunities and obviously for my family. And so I'd say somebody who's thinking about insurance or curious about it, uh, I think you mentioned mid-year career changes. There's a lot of customer experience roles or customer service roles that are, you know, those skill sets because you as a claims professional, at the end of the day, you're navigating a, a, a life event for somebody and being able to connect with them and being able to know that, hey, this is what's going to happen next. And then this is what's going to happen after that. You're kind of a walking them through something that is traumatic. We do this for a living, but sometimes it's the first time somebody has had to deal with this. And so you get to play the role of concierge of walking somebody through it and assuring them that it's, it's going to work out and it's going to be good on the other side. And so there's a whole bunch of different skill sets, I think, that come to the center of the equation when you choose to be a claims professional and anybody who would be interested in joining us. We're always looking for talent uh, to bring into our organization. We have several ways of doing it. You can come as experienced, you can come as a trainee into our claims training program. Uh, and then at Zurich, we have something pretty unique called apprentices. And so, you know, if post high school and you're in college and junior college, we have a program that uh, you work with us part time and you continue your pursuit of a degree where we assist you with that financial aid while building a career, learning about insurance. And then when you graduate from that program, you have a pathway into starting your insurance career. It's a really unique approach um, that Zurich has, something we're super proud of. Um, and if somebody is interested in learning more about it, um, visiting us at ZurichNA.com would certainly be able to answer your questions and know how to connect with us and, uh, and grow together. I think that's a fantastic way to close. It's a great plug. Um, I do think we have a lot of wonderful learning and growth career opportunities within Zurich. So I'm, I'm really glad that that's where we'll close our conversation today. Keith, thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Again, really appreciate your insight and your experience and, and the passion that you bring to your role. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie. I enjoyed it. And thank you to our listeners for joining today's podcast, The Future of Risk. We look forward to having you tune in again next time. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.
The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.